Welcome to On the Edge with Eddie Detangling Our Black Identities. I am your host, Eddie Etty, and like every day, I am excited, elated for you to be joining our conversation to explore all the different shades of black identities, have real conversations, and of course, great discussions. Hey, our conversations, stories, and discussions are not meant to be great, discourage, or prove a point. Exploring Black Identities is all about um, learning, empowering, um, giving people a voice to tell their stories, and at times be a voice for those people who don't feel comfortable telling their stories. Hashtag, not all Black people are the same. Hey, let me say that again, okay? Because you all think I'm messing around, because hashtag, not all Black people are the same. Hey, listen, today I have Shalisa Gladney with me. Hey, Shalisa is a graduate of the University of Iowa, degrees in communications and gender, women's and sexuality studies. Most recently, though, Shalisa was the was a prevention education coordinator at the Rape Victim Advocacy Program. Um, as a violence prevention educator, she specializes in consent, healthy relationships. I'm going to pause for a second. Healthy relationships, man. That's that. That's where it's at. Because everybody needs healthy relationships. Um, specializes in dismantling rape culture and responding to um, disclosures. Before that, though, um, she is a traveler. I mean, she loves to travel. She travels internationally, focusing on social justice uh, movements, uh, particularly in Kurd- Kurdistan. I can't even say that word, y'all. Kurdistan. <laughs> um, a, a beautiful chocolate woman. She is the president of the UI African Council and vice president for the Sankofa Outreach Connection, which is an organization that provides social events for women of color in the Iowa City area. Hey, she's an educator and advocate, passionate about community activism, education, and grassroots organization, especially in the Black communities. Y'all, I know we're going to run out of time, but I have to tell you this, okay? So check this out. Shaliza, outside of all the things that she does, she also provides postpartum care for survivors and educates other birth workers about the everyday consent into practices, into their practices, and explorative consent workshop for the career communities. Shalisa, I can keep going, but I'm going to stop because, hey, I've only known you for uh, for a little bit, but, hey, you are amazing. Oh, by the way, in her new role, she is the coordinator for the Afro House. Now, as a student way back in 1998-ish, I was living in the Afro House. So I know how good it is that um, we have someone like Shalisa to be um, really be in charge of what happens to the Afro House. I am excited to talk to Shalisa. Shalisa, you're welcome. I'm going to stop talking. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome to On the Edge with Eddie. Hey, we are going to detangle you. And I am excited to detangle you. First of all, how did you get into 
this whole like the the whole education and prevention um program like what how did you get into that tell me a little bit about that yeah i could go a lot of different um places with this but i'll decide to tell you three things that i think got me here one is um in undergrad. Um, so I was a non-traditional student. Um, I started at college when I was 18, um, had several challenges, dropped out of school, promised my mom I would go back, did some random stuff for a couple years, um, moved to Iowa City, um, got my two-year degree at Kirkwood, and then transferred to Iowa. Mm. In transferring to Iowa, I um, chose to originally um, to just uh, get a major in women's studies. Um, and I was encouraged by my friend Renee Red um, to look into that. And I was like exploring what it meant to be a black feminist and a womanist. And um, in after talking to some folks, I thought that that was the best route for me to go. Um, and then um, one of our, um, a lot of the classes that we had, um, I needed to do um, like community work for, or um, like th learn about like how different um, organizations operated in our community. And so that got me eventually connected to um, the domestic violence intervention program. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was a volunteer there, an intern, and then a full-time staff member after I graduated and in grad, um, and working there from when I started as a volunteer all the way to um, being a full-time staff um, and being a shelter coordinator, I, I, I would say that a lot of that is probably like my start as an adult into that world. Um, but if we backed up a little bit, um, when I was in elementary school and middle school, I was part of an organization called Youth Working for Positive Change. Mm -hmm. And that um, it was literally having um, youth like lead um, activists, um, different like activisms of yeah. all sorts. Um, <laughs> and so whether that's a neighborhood cleanup, whether that's holding folks in our community accountable, um, learning about politics. Uh, and it was like a organization primarily for um, low income or black youth led by a black woman. And um, her name is Shandrea Trotty. Y'all should look her up. She's dope. Um, and just like having that access has like transformed like or helped to impact um, like what I wanted to do later. Um, yeah. And so. Man, that. Oh, so, well, anyway, listen. Thank you for all the things, all the uh, work that you've um, done, um, especially in the space, because again, you know, like I said, healthy relationship, consent, all of those things are real. And that's, you know, it, it's people's life every day. Right. Um, and the whole um, you, you mentioned accountability and, you know, the whole concept of boundaries. Right. Um, you know, a lot of people don't take boundaries for granted, especially in, in the world of you know, race or even in the um, LGBTQ community. Um, you know, we take a lot of boundaries for granted. You know, some people don't like hugs. I love yeah. hugging people. Right. But not everybody like <laughs> getting hugs. Right. We just have for to. Like, sure. that, I, think, you know? <laughs> I get pretty excited to talk about boundaries and setting them and exploring them. And also, I think one of the things that we often think of when talking about boundaries is yeah. like uh, if 
trying to set a boundary with you, we, or, you know, someone's trying to set a boundary with another person. It's often like, um, taken as like a form of rejection, right. Or like this person doesn't want me around or this person doesn't want me touching them. And it's like, actually, typically we're setting boundaries because we want to stay in relationship with someone. Right. Right. Um, and that's like, like, if I didn't want to set a boundary with you, I could ghost you. I could eliminate you from my world. Right. But instead I'm like, Hey, I'm going to set this boundary to keep you here. Um, so yeah. yeah yeah so talking about boundaries you didn't really travel far across the states you were born in illinois and then of course yep. you you uh moved over uh, across the the iowa border and you know came over to iowa and lived in mm-hmm. well you grew up in um des moines um yeah. tell me a little bit about growing up and what it was like growing up in des moines for you um you know your community um, and then, you know, tell me when you realize that, wow, um, either one, your skin color made a different or you are a different type of black person. Mm, okay. <laughs> um, I do want to, I'm going to back up just two steps. Yeah. Um, one of the first things I want to mention is that while we did move from Illinois to Iowa, that mm-hmm. move was huge because most of the folks from the community that I'm born into never get out of that, right? Mm, um, and so my mom, um, making the like leap to move away from her family, away from everything that they know to a state that they'd never heard of. While that seems like a short distance, that's like a huge leap of faith to, um, embark on. Yeah. Um, I do want to note that. Um, but growing up in Des Moines, I grew up in a, what I consider a black community, even in Iowa, people right. find that hard to <laughs> but my neighbors were black. My the folks who owned homes on the street that I grew up on, 22nd Street in Des Moines, Iowa, were black homeowners. Um, my friends that I played with were black who lived, you know, in the house two doors down from me or across the street or, you know, behind us in the alley. Um, and so I think I've always had a pretty good understanding of like, I am black. Right. Um, and I knew that because of the folks around me. Right. Um, and then I think um, in elementary school, we had um, some internet, some students come to some black students um, that transferred to our school. Um, and the two that I were, I was closest with uh, the two families. One had um, won a lottery um, to come to the U.S. And I remember hearing about that and that being like, "You wait, what? You know, and that was that was pretty foreign to me at the time. Yep. I didn't understand that. No one in my life had. Um, and then the other family um, that came were um, refugees. And in also a uh, very interesting conversations on the playgrounds, you know, playing tetherball um, <laughs> around that. And so I think for me, um, I think that's when I started learning more about um, or wanting to learn more about like the different black identities that like are around the world. Right. Um, and how on the outside, I am a dark skinned chocolate woman. Right. And so, so was my friend. Um, yeah. But my friend, um, did not grow up in the U.S. And so whereas like when I was thinking of like the black community I grew up in um, and it was primarily with black Americans and how um, like what was what I knew as like black identity um, and having conversations with these particular friends, it became clear that that was not like their I like their black identity was like fairly different than mine. Um, right. And I maybe became infatuated <laughs> with blackness then just thinking about how 
just the breadth of us, right? Like there, here there are three, there are more than three black kids at my school, by the way. But you know, there are three, <laughs> three black, you know, three black kids, all from different countries, from different backgrounds, yep. ended up in Iowa for different reasons. Um, and so, yeah, I also had a black principal, now that I'm thinking about it, Mr. Quezon. Yeah, nice. <laughs> So, it, it, so it, you know, a, a lot of times, um, especially for international students. So originally I'm from Ghana, right? I moved to the United States. You know, it, like you're saying, there is all these different levels of blackness, right? You know, and when we talk about levels, it's not only like the, the lateral level. There's deep, like, you know, the depth to it, too. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times if you don't know about the other side, right? So for me, growing up in Ghana, I didn't even know a lot about the, the United States. What I knew about the United States is what I saw on TV, like I've said in a couple episodes. But coming to the United States, you know, you see, you know, the group of Black Americans, right? And then you see the Africans. And then you see even the East Africans versus the West Africans. Um, and, and like you were saying, it's interesting because unless you actually stop and take time to understand how people got to the United States, understand people's background, you will actually just think that, oh, everybody is black right and even within the black community itself there is that you know there there's this you know i i don't really know what to call it but we not everybody like associates themselves with all black people right um so before i get there what was it like growing up in high uh high school in des moines for you um in the des moines space again growing up in the community full of black people um what was high school like? So in high school, uh, my parents purchased a house that was not in a black community. And so we okay. moved. <laughs> Ooh. Um, All right. That was no long, you know, my, we were the only black people on my street when we moved there. Um, mm. And for several years, right. Um, it wasn't maybe until five years later um, that another black family moved onto our street, um, a, a shorter street than where I used to live, but right. still, that was uh, eye-opening to me because I'm like, whoa, I still went to the same high school. Um, so just opened, enrolled, and went there. Um, but I think some things that come up um, when I think about um, growing up Black and like thinking about high school is um, I still primarily surrounded myself with um, Black friends. Mm. Um, and I think um, growing up, or when I think of high school, I played sports. And so, um, and any sport I could get, any sport that would let me on the team. I was never like, <laughs> like I, but I was there. Right. Um, <laughs> um, and so I, I loved being active still to this day. Um, I'm currently, I just ran a race on Saturday, a 6K. Nice, um, very nice. I am, my current like workout of choice is doing CrossFit. Um, I've done everything from roller derby to rugby to (laughs) softball. Um, So I try to stay pretty active um, and also did when I was in high school. Um, And I think in high school, um, a lot of the relationships um, that were that I had that were with non-black folks were um, from sports. Mm. Okay. Did you get into sports mostly because it was uh, a way for you to fit into certain population 
or was it just because something that your parents en encouraged you to do or you just love sports? Um, so when I was in sixth grade yeah. in Des Moines, you, the only sport that you could play was cross country. And so I started oh. with running cross country. <laughs> Let me tell you who runs cross country in sixth grade. <laughs> white people, <laughs> uh -huh. Afri African folks. Yep. yep. Mostly, mostly, <laughs> yeah. Mostly is Africans and Shalisa. Right. <laughs> yeah. And Shalisa. And so <laughs> that was, but it was a way to get out. It was a way to get out of the house. Right. I'm the right. oldest of four kids. <laughs> I'm like, what, what, what can I do? Okay. I'm going to do this. And so I actually ran, um, cross country up until my first two years of college. So from sixth grade through, um, again, was never great at it, but I could do it. Yeah. Um, and I felt like it was one of the sports that you could do and not have to, um, you don't have to be great at it. You just got to run. Yeah. Like, true. You know. <laughs> run. yeah. <laughs> when, when, when your parents bought that house and you guys move into the white neighborhood, um, and you got there and, there was nobody else like you in the neighborhood. Um, first off, what was what was your reaction when you got out of your house and you're maybe playing around and nobody else was like you? And two, what was the reaction of the other white people around the street, around the neighborhood um, when they saw sure. you? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so there are black folks who lived in our neighborhood, but just not on our on block. Street, yep. Yeah. Um, and so actually my closest friend from high school um, lived uh, just like three or four blocks over. And so oftentimes if I was leaving my house, I was going to her house. Mm -hmm. um, I think another thing to note is that we had a neighbor, um, the person who lived just um, right next to us, who is still and was then amazing in helping us get settled there. And um, if there was ever a dispute, like would be, you know, the liaison for us there I don't remember there being many disputes but um older white couple and they were just amazing and I mean now they're like an extension of our family <laughs> right well I guess we my parents have been in that house now a lot of years seven <laughs> maybe okay. seven. yeah yep um and so you know on when we cook Thanksgiving dinner which or if we cook any dinner, I don't know that we often cook Thanksgiving dinner, but, or on like a holiday or something, like we always, like we take them a plate or, you know, um, and so uh, I would say leaving out of the house, um, there's a joke about my mom's kids that we're porch babies, which just means my mom didn't let us go far. Okay? <laughs> and so was there, was there any reason to that though? Or was it just because she just like you'd be home? Um, I mean, I guess I'll just revisit like at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned that uh, we are my mom is from a my mom left a community in Illinois that was um, maybe not the best. Right. Uh, I think there are lots of good things that actually come out of those communities, um, but maybe not always the safest. Um, and so I think for my mom, like she remembers growing up. And so she's like, I'm, you know, I'm doing, you know, every parent wants to do it differently, right? right do it better. Right. And so yeah. one of my mom's ways of making sure that we were safe were, you know, when we were near her. Yep. <laughs> or yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, nah. It's, that's mom's for you though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they, so they in terms of like how baby. people responded to us, we didn't, I mean, I think for the most part, I didn't get much of that because I was often with my parents or, um, and if I wasn't, 
they were a phone call away, right? Um, there was there was never like a where you know where's Shalisa at? It's seven o'clock. There was all like no, you knew where Shalisa was. Yeah. Um, you better believe I was there because I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> yes ma'am yeah <laughs> all right so then you started iowa went to college uh at 18 but you didn't actually finish when you started um you dropped out because you I wanted to go see the world <laughs> a little bit i think um that i would it would be incorrect for me not to say that like i didn't have the support i needed um okay. when i college there are lots of things that I did not realize I mean even in terms of like studying right like the right. I I had to relearn to study to go back to school right um and so I think some of the things that came up for me um in choosing to not go was right. just I was struggling yeah and that's so that let, um, me, let me ask you a little bit before we continue let me ask you a little bit about the struggling because again there is there are a lot of students out there especially black students who go through the same thing um you know again for me for example i was admitted at the to the university of iowa on probation right and mm -hmm. it was really hard for me to actually adjust to from high school to college and being able to one make friends being able to find my identity being able to find the right people to hang out with and even at, at, at that being black on a very white campus right it was it was hard so let me get your point of view on what was what was hard for you when you first started and what were some of the challenges because again there are kids out there right now with those same challenges mm -hmm. um so i first started at a school called william penn um it's a very small um liberal arts college um in tiny town iowa mm -hmm. um while there are lots of great things that came out of there including me meeting some of my closest friends that town was white as hell. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, prior to going to school there, I had never heard of it. <laughs> and it was like 60 minutes away mm. um, from Des Moines. But I think um, the things that I struggled with were at a time where, you know, this newfound freedom, right? Like in a way that I'd never had it before. Right. Um, thinking of like time management, thinking of... Um, like even just study skills, not knowing how to ask for help when yeah. asking for help being turned down or, you know, like, well, look here. Um, but like, not like, I don't know how to look here, you know, right. in quotes, um, because I've never had to do that. Right. Um, I, in, in high school, for the most part, I, you know, if I read something, I didn't have to go back and reread it and study it. Like you just, it's just over. But in college, right. it's not that way, right? You, right. you read your homework assignments or you read whatever your homework is, you do your homework. And then before quiz or test, you need to go back and re like revisit a lot of that. That sure. was not how I went through any of K through 12. Um, and I was, you know, I'm, I was a pretty smart kid, not, you know, definitely not the very top of my class, but not at the bottom. Right. Um, and that was without studying. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, man, if I would have studied, <laughs> yep. um, but I think also not knowing anyone else who had done it. Right. Like I am the first in my family to get a degree, mm. um, the first to go to college. And so not even knowing, like, even if we go all the way to like applying for, um, financial aid, that, blew my mind it still does let me be let me be real <laughs> yep, yep. um i didn't actually but, know financial aid existed until i graduated out of college 
right? And it's it's real because again, you know, a lot of times people take all of this information for granted and just assume that everybody in the world, or at least everybody in the United States knows about financial aid. They know about the resources available to them, but the truth is not everybody does. <laughs> right i didn't know that and you know so again for you for example you didn't know that um and so it was hard right it was just so then what you just couldn't take it anymore or what (laughs) yeah you know i think a lot of things came up um but i i think that it's important to know when to say when in life right um and at that at that time in my life i was like win. (laughs) Um, And so, I mean, one of the things that I knew is that I wanted a degree and I knew that um, getting a degree would give me access to spaces I wanted, such as now I work at a university, right? Um, I work at, I work, not only work at a university, um, I am like being a first gen college student, like being a college, at one point in time, being a college dropout, right? Um, I think one of the things that I keep reminding myself is that I am like that, like not one situation doesn't define you. Right. Um, And so like, you're right. I did drop out of college. I remember um, very um, vividly uh, in high school, one of my um, professor or one of my teachers who was upset with my performance and my attitude in class didn't ask why I was performing that way or had that attitude, which mm-hmm. I think probably would have changed his response, but telling me that I was going to amount to nothing. Right. Yep. Um, and I hope that your child comes to Iowa so that I could uh, teach them, tell them, take the intro to leadership class. So when, I mean, there are lots of people, what I will say is there are lots of people telling me like, Shalisa, you can make a difference. Um, and so those are always louder than the, you know, the one teacher in um, high school who were, who told me I wouldn't amount to anything, but that was still there. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, going yeah. to college was important to me, I guess is what I was saying. Um, my, so my high school, it wasn't a teacher for me. It was a guidance counselor that mm. told me that I was not going to make it in college. So I can identify what you're saying. But question is, how many times or how many of us out there in this world are being told at a very young age that you are not going to amount to anything, right? But the sad thing is there are people in this world right now who listen to those voices, right? And internalize those voices. And right now are in situations that, you know, they don't deserve to be in because somebody told their mind that they're not going to um, amount to anything, right? Um, So, (laughs) which which is depressing. But outside of that, you've done, you've really impacted um, a lot of students, especially with your work and then what you're doing now. and I want to switch gears a little bit because you said something, um, especially when you took your new job as the coordinator uh, for the Afro House. Um, you had mentioned you wanted to, um, you, you said that Black 
students and staff deserve a space they call a home, right? So a space where, you know, we can all get together, where it's, it's you know, very nice. And it, there, there is that community that people can, you know, affirm their Blackness, right? Tell me a little bit about why you think that is important, especially in a space like Iowa. Um, I think there's lots of things that come to mind, right? I think um, one of the, like my guiding principles in life is to be who I needed at a certain age, right? And so thinking of um, giving back, um, especially to those who um, look like me or maybe have similar experiences to me. Um, like any of our, if we have any similar identities, I'm like, how can I, you know, like <laughs> I was a student once. Um, but when I think about like the support and care that black students need, um, really, I just think about advocacy, right? Um, and even in thinking about in the in the few months that I've been here, the way in this particular position, the ways that I've advocated on behalf of um, black students, um, and that's whether they know I'm advocating for them or not, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's also, um, I think a lot of advocacy is like showing up for folks when they either can't show up for themselves or aren't invited to that particular table, right? Um, and so I am, um, again, I've been an advocate for um, most of my like a working um, like experience, but I think one of the things for me um, in coming into higher ed and bringing in my like advocacy background or activist background um, is that I, while I might not have all the like higher ed lingo, um, I do have like skills to, um, to like support others, like through difficult, whether it's conversations or decisions. Um, and then also um, I think for black folks, sometimes just somebody like that looks like you that'll listen. Right. Um, but also like hold you accountable. And I know that that is something that um, is not like the way being at a white institution or a PWI um, and being like a black or brown person being held accountable can feel like an attack or can feel like uncomfortable. And so one of the things that I try to remind the students that I work with is like, it's out of love. Right. But like also like someone should hold you accountable if you're, you know, not um, performing up to par, if you're, you know, falling behind, if you didn't follow through with something. Um, and I think had I had someone earlier holding me accountable for some things, especially when I was um, starting off at college, or even just like having some of those conversations with me, that would have been like really helpful. Um, what, is, what is the hardest thing about being a, a Black woman advocate? <laughs> Right. So there's there's a black woman. Right. And then trying to be an advocate for other people while you're a black woman. As a black woman, you you have your own struggles. Right. You have your own challenges. And then on top of that, you're fighting for other people. What is what is the hardest part about? Probably being I would say if I had to say the hardest part about that is um, being like examined through a white lens. Um, and so I, when I think of, for myself, at least, like I am, um, there are some things that I'm going to respond to differently. And it's, I mean, one of the main reasons is because I'm black right. and I'm a black woman. Right. But I think in the same way, I mean, if we think of like the different, um, like things that black women are held 
to a different standard on, um, you know, being careful about how I speak to someone, being careful about the tone, being, you know, like all the things, um, code switching, right? Um, And so I think that that's probably the most challenging part for me is like wanting to, um, like to advocate for someone or on behalf of folks, but also not like have my identity stunt whatever I'm advocating for. <laughs> um, Do you find yourself code switching a lot just to make people feel comfortable or um, just so people will listen to you? Make them feel comfortable. I think um, in code switching for myself, at least, yeah. um, I I very rarely feel like, oh, I'm code switching because this person needs to be comfortable. But also, I think it's more, in some ways, it's a little more selfish than that, right? Like, I know that if I show up to this meeting with my bonnet on, let me stop playing. Um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and I, my colleagues will tell you. <laughs> no, but, you know, I think um, when I think of code switching, it's often more so for my safety, for my, like, for me to be comfortable in that space, right? And right. if I do have to code switch, Um, and someone is like, let's say an ally, I think it's really important for them to make the space seem, make the space, make it a space where I don't feel like I have to, me or anyone else, feel like they have to code switch. Um, And so, yeah, that would probably be my answer to your question. Have you ever gone through a situation that um, you are in the space, um, again, you know, you've been to different spaces internationally and here, um, and you are trying to get your point across, right? And all of a sudden you get the, the, you get the sense that, you know what, what you're trying to say is never going to get across for the individual, the group that you're talking to. And the only reason why is because you're Black. I think more than anything, I would say that in some of my international travels that um, the thing that has, sorry, uh, the thing that has like um, hindered folks understanding me the most is maybe actually being foreign, right? Right. Um, And I, even in like spaces where they don't understand the, um, the different complexities of like black identities and how they intersect with gender. Right. Right. Um, What they do know is that like, I am not from that, um, you know, I am not from their space. And so um, it's, yeah, I will also say that one of the things that I often like another thing I try to live by is instead of like raising my voice about something, trying to improve my argument so that it's accessible. Um, And so I think if someone is like not understanding me, but wanting to understand me, not, not, not understanding me and also not under, you know, not wanting to, but if someone wants to that um, like improving, whatever it is I'm saying to them, being more clear, trying to reframe it or restate it um, is like important. So let's talk a little bit about the LGBTQ community. Um, Again, you've done a lot of workshop in the queer for the queer community. First of all, the word queer um, explain to the listeners who don't understand or know what the word queer is. If you don't understand or know the word queer, I'm going to suggest that <laughs> you'll one, have to do some readings. I'm, I will give um, like my definition um, yep. and the ways in which or the, just the way in which I think of the word queer. I yep. think of the word, the, um, the word queer as like a reclaiming 
um, to be used by folks who identify as queer um, and find it appropriate. Um, I also think of queer as thinking about like, um, I think queer is whatever it needs to be at that time. I I use the word queer um, to primarily um, describe my orientation. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think it, it's like a synonym for like dynamic, for dope, for yeah. <laughs> the best. Yeah. Um, and that it doesn't mean just one thing, right? Um, I know um, we put a myriad of like letters together, LGBTQ, LGBTQ+, LGBTQIA, you know, and so I think that um, there are definitely some folks um, who while I would use the word queer, like more broadly, there are some folks who think that queer is like very specific, right? right. Um, and so queer should only be about your sexual orientation. Um, and I think, I think I think about that a little differently um, and that each, every individual and in every community is going to think about that a little differently. differently um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, again, so I asked that question because again, I, there is probably I have listeners from over 12 different countries, right? Mm-hmm. And so there are people who might never heard of the word queer before, right? And yeah. they're like, what what are they talking about? <laughs> um <laughs> but it, like Shalisa said, if you don't know what it means, go read upon it. Um and yeah, learn more about it because again, th- when we talk about intersectionalities, you know, queer can be just, you know, it's just part of you who you are as an individual, or it could be, you know that's your identity right it all depends on who you are right what 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 do we tell people um i think rather than do rather than us doing like generalizations like to get to know an individual right like um i when thinking of um the word queer and folks who identify as queer especially as it relates to their sexual orientation i think that you should not care what happens um, in someone's bedroom unless you are consensually invited there. Um, and so th- in short, that's my answer. I think getting to know an individual um, and like building a relationship with them is like way more, like knowing someone on like a individual level is like way more, um, impactful and important than trying to like, well, I heard that queers do this and like, they might. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Um, And then also I, I just, I, I, I don't entertain conversations often around um, what someone does in their bedroom and why someone doesn't like it. If it's not even a bedroom you're interested in being in Mm -hmm. for like reasons around pleasure. Like there's just, yeah, for pleasure. There's no other reason you should be wondering about that. <laughs> and, you know, and, and it's crazy thing because you know um, that that whole concept, right? It's like, so for example, I have some white friends, great white friends, that they're like, oh well, you know, black people just make up stories, right? And they tell stories about their suffering, and you know, I don't think you know they really go through those things, and blah 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 blah. And it's the same scenario, same scenario of, you know, people just saying, well, you know, the LGBTQ community, they just make up stories, right? But like what you said, first of all, um, when we started talking, we we're talking about healthy relationships, right? Um, and boundaries. 
why is it okay that you have your values and I have my values and Shalisa has her values, but yet it's not okay for me to quote unquote attack your values, but yet you can attack my blackness or you can attack somebody else's gayness or you can attack somebody else's queerness. Why is that okay? I don't understand that concept. Um, you know, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe you just need to write a book about boundaries and healthy relationships and put all of that out there for people struggling with that because your values are your values, right? It's okay mm-hmm. to have your own values. You treat me like a person, I treat you like a person, whatever, right? And but stop attacking somebody else's for their beliefs or their values or their decisions, right? Mm-hmm. For who they want to be. Um, but I'm just, I, I, I don't even know where I'm taking that, but I was just putting that I out think, there. <laughs> Yeah, I think that you make a good point there, right? Like, no, my values should not necessarily be more important than your values. And really one of the things you mentioned um, made me think of how oftentimes what it is is that someone is uncomfortable or doesn't know much about some a particular identity for an individual and instead of coming to that um to that space with like um curiosity wanting to understand wanting to be in relationship with this person you're coming with judgment right and so like that's probably what's hindering that like whatever the if you have like really big feelings about something that has nothing to do with you like it's it's probably because you're approaching that with a lot of judgment and so um valid absolutely yeah no you're right you're absolutely right and i actually never thought about it that way um yeah if it affects you you're actually judging (laughs) or prejudging before you even enter the situation on the space and it makes you feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. right so removing you know your judgment lenses and just you know getting to know people and treating them like human beings especially black folks um Mm -hmm. you know and and, and getting to know their background is you know where we're at but hey anyway so hey we're on the edge detangling our black identities we are detangling shalisa gladney um thank you so much for joining the conversation listen you have done amazing work um you know in the community all around continue to do the wonderful work that you're doing, especially, um, you know, empowering black students over at the Afro house. Um, you know, the work that you're doing, the, uh, rape victim advocacy program. I know that work is never done. Um, before I let you go though, Hey, I'm going to give you a minute to send a message out to the world. If you had a minute to tell the world anything, mind you, there's 12 countries, listeners from at least 12 countries listening to you right now. If you had a chance to tell the world anything, what would you want to tell the world? I'm going to play some background music here while you do that. (laughs) I think that I would probably tell people to lead with love. That's it. I need 10 seconds. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I would still just remind folks to lead with love and maybe to folks who look like me, um, I would tell them they're capable of doing whatever they put their mind to. Um, that's probably all. <laughs> that boundaries in your life. <laughs> hey, listen, you heard it from Shalisa. Lead with love short and sweet can't say anything better than that um and then in the words of Martin Luther King Jr 
He said, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Just live with love, right? Simple as that. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. It has been an honor. I can't wait to continue our conversation. I can't wait to change the world with you. We have a lot of, you know, world changing to do. um, And it's going to be awesome. Thank you so much. You have an awesome, awesome day.